this is Deadshot. Show up, sit down, and listen to my boys on superhero stuff you should know. That's right, I'm talking about you. Welcome to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, a Superhouse podcast. This is Ben Juan, the man who knows too much about Batman. And joining me are... Hey, this is Wolfie. Today I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> this is Andrew. Hello. You're going to have to guess what I'm wearing. So what's going on, everybody? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have one more person who we're not going to actually be wearing, but uh, this year seems to be... The year of us interviewing several actors behind the Batman villains, and this is no exception. We covered the character of Deadshot on the show a few episodes back uh, on the Telltale comic Sins of the Father. But before that, and before he was even in the Suicide Squad movie, the character's live-action debut was in the final season of the beloved superhero show Smallville. And today, we have the original, the first actor to bring Floyd Lawton to life. Please welcome the original Deadshot himself, Woo! Bradley Stryker. Woo! Yeah. All right. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> Excuse Good. me. How's everybody doing? Doing great. <laughs> Thank Happy you, to man. have you. Thank Good. you. I'm wearing nothing. <laughs> oh, nice. That, that's the way we're supposed to do this. Jackpot. That's right. You're yeah. most free that way. <laughs> I, I am. Actually, you told me it was what I was supposed to wear, but now it feels awkward. <laughs> Striker. <laughs> <laughs> oh man amazing did you ever have to All buy right. a beer growing up did Is i ever last name buy it oh uh, <laughs> well here, let me i can actually take it one step farther when i was it was just my name and then when i got into this business everybody repeatedly for like the first uh five ten years of my career asked me what my real name was oh man that's awesome and i was like and I, I, I was confused by it. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's my name, Bradley Stryker. They're like, sure it is. <laughs> you like, ever and then I struck him. People talk about there's a Mortal Kombat character named Stryker as well. Same spelling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but think about, I'm, so I'm 42, so I grew up in, you guys remember the movie Airplane? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The scene Stryker from That's Airplane. Right. If I. Oh, yeah. What a dollar for every time a person performed that for me poorly. Yeah. We wouldn't even be talking right now because I'd be living on an island somewhere in the Caribbean. <laughs> but, and I mean, in every re- every rendition of it is like, they get more and more confusing the farther we get away from it. Because I'm like, what are you trying to do? Right, right, right. Nice. <laughs> Wait, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's you know, a funny story too. When I married my, uh, when I married, I'm married, when I married my wife. I told her that my name costs nine ninety nine a month. And she was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, you don't just walk into Striker for free. There's a <laughs> I had to buy it from Tom from MySpace. That's right, and it didn't go well to begin with. <laughs> they always say it like Striker. Okay. <laughs> Were you so, a comic yeah. book fan growing up? Uh, or uh, did you just kind of, uh, you know, learn about it as you went in the acting world? I was more of like the comic book cartoon sort of guy. Gotcha. Uh, not necessarily. So it's actually quite funny because I come from a family. My parents weren't really into any of that or any sci-fi or anything like that. 
And then, of course, I go into the profession I go into, and I spend a good deal of time in those worlds. Right. And so the whole family's got to become educated through a lot of these things growing up uh, in the business since I've been in the business. But for me, because uh, like from a storytelling perspective, I was always fascinated with how infinite the stories were, the, the world yeah. that they would create were. And so like not necessarily a guy that would go buy the comic books. Actually, I was the guy that went and bought the baseball cards, which was probably a really bad idea because, you know, now they're kindling. But um, <laughs> they, the comic book world is always fascinating because they seem to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And it seems that they just, the possibilities were uh, basically endless. So the older I got, the more I got into storytelling, the more fascinated I became by all of it. And were cool. you, did you start acting in Oregon? You're from Oregon originally, right? Well, so I was born in Eugene, Oregon. My okay. parents were both University of Oregon Ducks, but I uh, was raised just outside of Seattle. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And you, grew, and you started acting there? No, man, I, I mean, well, <laughs> Not not technically. I mean, I <clears throat> I entertained my family because that's kind of who I was. You know, we'd sit down and watch TV and I would come upstairs dressed in my mom's clothes or something. And they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, funny, right? As long as I got a laugh, I was good. But nice. uh, I didn't actually get into like acting for real because I was more of the uh, sports guy. And through all the way up until high school and then in high school uh, i i was a late developer so i was like five foot seven until my junior year so as you can imagine that didn't really work out for sports too well <laughs> and then i decided that i was gonna be the party guy and so i did that really well and this was entertained everybody and then i went to uh in college i didn't really want to be in college i was doing it kind of for my parents and um in my college tour i went to six schools because that's what you do. <laughs> and, uh, I was somewhere in the middle of that, and I ended up in New York for a summer. Some uh, modeling agency had brought me out there for whatever reason, and I stumbled into a couple of acting classes, and then all of a sudden, the uh, basically the entire trajectory of my life changed because all of a sudden I was like, "Whoa, what is this? I didn't know cool. you could do this." Uh, yeah, didn't didn't have any success in modeling. And actually, it was quite funny model too because I, I don't, we don't have to get into the world, but it's a very unique. Uh, it's a very unique. It's a it's a very unique world, and I didn't understand it nor really want to be part of it. <laughs> so, so I learned really quickly that like you know going to a casting and they're like okay hey, uh, let's get you down in your boxers and i'm like mm, i don't know it doesn't really feel like something i want to do so uh, <laughs> maybe comfortable. this is wow. going to be for me repeatedly so that didn't i didn't do too well there but uh, i did discover acting, which is great that's cool but nice. how old were you at that at that time awesome. whenever you discovered 20, it? i turned 21 that summer in okay. june then i I was going to stay in New York, call my mom, said, I'm not going back to college. She said, that's too bad. And the next day she sent me the like breakdown of how much money I owed for my loans. Oh man. Oh, shit. Brilliant. I said, good work, mom. And then uh, <laughs> I went back, I moved back to San Diego. I finished school in San Diego, San Diego state actually. And uh, <clears throat> I went back and did a year and a half of school in one year uh, and graduated. Uh, yeah. Graduated there when I was, I guess I was 21 when I graduated and then moved straight to LA to get this, get this game going. 
so Bradley, what led you to landing the role of Deadshot in Smallville? Uh, what time frame after you well, got started? A lot of not landing different roles. <laughs> <laughs> it must be soul crushing to drive all over the place to, to audition, right? And well, then not I mean, get 90%. I mean, I don't know how what, what your percentage is, but you know what I mean? It's awful. I mean, <laughs> it's like an, if I'm being generous, it's awful. But like right. the truth is, is that I got lucky because of how I started. So when I went back to San Diego, I drove because I had an agent in San Diego. Then all of a sudden, and I had a commercial agent in Vancouver and in, in um, L.A. I drove back and forth for like Doritos commercial auditions when I was 21 years old. And I'm talking some days I spent seven hours in the car to audition for a Doritos commercial, oh, um, wow. which was miserable. Right. But starting doing Jesus. that. And then when I moved to LA, so then you're in LA and it was, it was in a different era. So there was a lot more busy work auditions for commercials and all these other things. And um, I was lucky to have a, a agency take me under their wing and say, you don't know what you're doing, but we'll help you figure it out. I said, thank you. And, so I was in a different era. Like I, I think I had 120 commercial auditions before I got my first one. 120. Oh, and then four years later, I bought a house. So it was like, nice. it was a quick, once I figured it out, it clicked and I did a ton of those. And then while I was making that money, I spent a lot of time studying acting because well, I mean, you guys all live in LA, so you know this, right? So the best description of LA I've ever heard was in a book when a guy said, he said, he said, this is the craziest place I've ever been in my life. He said, the three best looking people from every high school in America moved here. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just died because it's yeah, so true. I, I used to sit in rooms and like I would sit in rooms and I would just look around and I've, there was times when I would sit in rooms and I'd be like, I am, I've never seen this many attractive men in one place in my life. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so I, I realized really quickly that my path to success was going to rely on figuring out how to do this. So while a lot of other people were, I mean, I still enjoyed my twenties, but instead of just enjoying them, I was, I put myself through my own sort of acting school where I, I mean, I was in class five days a week and like there's the first six months I was there and my credit cards were like $17,000 from acting class. Oh man. And everybody, wow. people were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm 21. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> like, Debt baby. Yeah, like, and also Honest like I'm gambling on myself. That's a gamble I'll take every day. Right, right, right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I just did. Sure. So the, from there, you know, the odds have gotten better. Thank you. But uh, it's it's just a, it's a long sort of like process figuring it out and um, you know all these years later what kind of led me to Deadshot is actually even more interesting because I auditioned for Smallville a lot and <laughs> oh yeah I, I got oh. put on hold multiple times for multiple different roles where you know you're the second choice whatever it didn't quite work out you're too young you're too this you're too that and so by the time I got this particular role, the role of Deadshot, it was really exciting because I actually, I mean, I loved the character and I loved everything about him. Cool. But it was, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, I'd like to say I got, I had power enough to be able to say I chose it in some way, but 
I didn't. It was just the one that fit the best. Uh, and then also, like, it, this is the way this works. This will be an interesting factoid for you guys. My first day on set, I created the character. I do a lot of a lot of work, a lot of homework on my characters. Um, it's, it's something I enjoy. I mean, I'm a screenwriter myself. I'm sure you guys are storytellers in some regard uh, as well. Um, and so yeah. I don't just approach it from very uh, a casual, like, let's see what happens sort of way. And you know what? Uh, to all the people that do that, great, good for you. But I approach it from a, like, let's see what lives in this guy. Let's pull him apart, put him back together and show up. So usually when I show up to set, I'm like, I'm pretty deep in. Like I got the guy. Like, you know, I'm like I, I'm, I've got his shoes on. I know what's happening here. Like let's do this. So nice. I show up. Hell we yeah. do first we do the first we do rehearsal. We do the first take, and from way back in Video Village, I hear, "Tell him to lose the accent." <laughs> well, which is from one of the producers, and I get real quiet because I was like, "What did they say?" Lose the accent. And I was like, okay, well, hold on. <laughs> you, know, you don't just lose the accent and everything's good to go. I've, I've actually put in work here. So that accent is actually tied to things, mm -hmm. so many things that if you just erase that, I, then give me some time to figure this guy out again, because that, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. So we did the next take, no accent. I was in, I was in a, a very special form of hell for the one take. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope I can say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> it's been a while. You guys are vulgar <laughs> friendly. This is my kind of show. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. And so I then, after the take, I went up to the director and I said, Hey, uh, can I have your ear for a second? He's like, Sure. I said, This uh, accent thing, he goes, Do you want to do it? And I was like, Yeah, I really do. And he goes, Well, that's cool. Do it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> okay. So I go back, doing it. <laughs> we did, they just let me roll then. I mean, everything starts to happen and fall. I'm walking through the lot. Uh, I think it was just after lunch. And one of the producers cuts me off. Goes, hey, striker. <laughs> That's what people call me, striker. Striker. Yeah. <laughs> he stops me, he looks me in the eyes, and I'm like, oh, fuck. What is he going to say to me? And he's like, you were right. I said, oh, what? He goes, accent works. Good job. And he walked away. And I, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, and I'm standing there and I'm like, uh, okay, that was odd. But, uh, like, I don't want to also say like on some level, like, uh, I think sometimes there is a bit of, uh, you just got to be able to roll with the punches. You really do. You don't have a choice. Uh, TV more than film because the schedule's tighter and there's more at stake for making the schedule. And there's, it's just not so much about finding things as delivering. And so, mm -hmm. You have to be able to do it, but honestly, when you're creating a character like this who has, because you could sit here right now and pull up the Wikipedia page and read for a while. So when you've mm -hmm. done that and you've and they, you've had all these writers dig in this deep for you, and then you find your way with a certain thing, and then all of a sudden they go, "How about we just peel back one of those things?" It's almost on some level you're like, "Well, that's not the show you guys are making because you asked me to do a certain amount of work to." bring him to life in a, a way that your fans want and in a way that respects what you what many many people have put in time creating and peeling that back in such a way anyway just like the two mediums sometimes don't meet up 
the uh, the literary medium and all the work that was done to create it versus the TV machine medium. Right. Um, and so right. I'm sure that I'm not the only one with a story like that, you know. That... <laughs> right, right. But it's, it's awesome that you did, you, you won out on that choice in something that yeah. uh, I'm sure in other, maybe other scenarios or work scenarios. That, oh, that abs- not absolutely. Are you crazy? I mean, I'm not telling you story of when i was like yeah i showed up and i decided that my character had a wood leg and they're like ah hmm that's a bit <laughs> odd well, I'm like, right? you guys i nailed it didn't i and like, uh, you, know, you didn't nail it actually and um you know transpo's here to take you home i just made that up but you get my point doesn't work yeah I yeah, that, yeah. Oh, sorry, it, it's funny uh, one of my yeah one the next question I had was whether or not the southern accent was something that was like in the script or was your choice but obviously it sounds like this this was your choice based off of the absolutely you and you know part of the reason is is that you know like who is he like just the base the base knowledge of who he is is he's an expert marksman and I go yeah. okay hold on like I've seen a bunch of military movies and yes I'm stereotyping on some level but like where do a lot of those guys usually come from well, some place where there's a lot of rural woods to practice their craft, if you will, right? And I go, well, so you can easily build a, you know, grew up on a farm, grew up in a rural community somewhere. And then my next question for myself is, well, then what's the most interesting version of that guy? Because you're also talking about, you're not talking about one of the good guys, are you? So Hmm. you then go, okay, wait a minute. So if he's portrayed as a supervillain and if that's obviously the way they're that they're going to have me portray him how dark can i get with the life he's had um so i found that there was a lot of fertile ground for me to, to play through in the south i could have done it in a lot of other places wyoming montana but i mean even if you just pick up a history but on some level there's it seemed to me there was just a bit more to pull from from that specific region hmm. um yeah. you know because because the other thing to remember right like a lot i always was auditioning for for the most part for the super villains of the show right i wasn't auditioning to be another superhero um and i lend part of that to my just how i look <laughs> i look like i don't look like a good person apparently but I, <laughs> um, and part of what i i mean by that is is the you to play these guys correctly you can't play a bad guy because then you're just a shitty bad guy but if you discover the source of the pain and you build everything from there up so i played many bad guys in my career and deadshot would even be one of them where the people that i encountered that i was dealing with by by exercising my you know my my power over them i was helping them and so you know by trying to kill people specifically in smallville i was doing what was best for the world and them i was being helpful as opposed to being a bad person and the minute you kind of brainwash yourself in that way uh it's basically infinitely possible of the uh of the things you could do and feel no remorse about it which of course then you see it on screen and you're like that's scary mm-hmm. yeah i do love the monologue that you have to cat grant about uh, how you know, yeah, your son's going to get over your death yeah. eventually type of thing. And how there's hints of, you know, of knowing even if you don't know the comic book background of Deadshot and his family and the sort of messed up family life that he grew up with. There's 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 the hint of that when you watch that scene. 
that I always loved from just that that one. Oh, yeah, well, that I, that's interesting because what I do is I read up, I understand that this is what they created, and then I kind of step into my world and go, how can I personalize that? This is all acting nerd stuff. But then I step aside and say, how can I personalize that? Because it it's the same thing as what you just said. He comes from not a great childhood. So that all then comes through the character. And you go, because one of the things to remember is, is that we're talking about these very specific worlds that people have created, right? Um, so we then have to find a way, in my opinion, to make it real for ourselves as actors, or it will look a little thin. It won't register as like a real thing. And then it'll be fun. It can be fun, but we, then we don't feel, again, like too many people have put too much time into these things to not give them that. Right. To not give them all of that, and it's it, for my for me, and so any sort of paper thin like good guy bad guy whatever it is in these worlds to me feels like a big misfire. Um, and so you know I think that the way I work kind of lends to it, and I think you guys can agree to this when you watch the these movies, the comic book movies, the ones that the characters we don't even the storytelling is out of the actors' hands in the end. It's at, so many mm -hmm. other people's hands, but the characters that we tend to really gravitate towards. They're exactly the people I'm talking about. They're the ones who, yeah. And I think they nailed it with um was it uh is it Wolver was it Wolverine? Logan. Logan. The all of a sudden you had the whole world, not comic book people, the whole world talking about this movie in a very new way. And yeah. so from the storytelling perspective, you go, Well, why is that? Well, because now these these are uh, flawed, broken human beings that happened to be set in that world. Now we're into a whole mm -hmm. new thing, aren't we? Um, and I think we even took it farther with the, with the latest rendition of the Joker. And there's controversy in that too now, right? Because people wanted different stories to be told this, that, and the other. But the fact is we just, we just took it one step even farther into reality now. Um, <laughs> uh, which is, it's a fun thing because then your audience just got bigger, didn't it? And now you have people that have never watched comic book movies that are going, well, what else is in this particular world? What else yeah. is here? Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. And I just, I don't know, I'm a firm believer in uh, when people put in uh, this much work to create these things, you know, there's, there is, because there is also the haters, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like what do you what do you hate about it <laughs> like what is there to hate about these worlds like they're just this wild exciting place for your imagination to run run rampant and it's there's nothing really negative about them but i think people just like to you know you know cancel culture hate whatever you want to call it yeah. um consider them childish right. or yeah or like not not serious or something which also just basically means yeah. you don't understand theme and storytelling because it means Boom, <laughs> suckers like it's like, like i love that isn't it like you know what you look at these characters and you're like they're not real oh, stop for two seconds what are they so is every yeah. other book every other fictional book in literature yes, exactly. yeah. that means that no, that means that no fantasy movie that's ever been made has any worth either so now right. uh, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Star Wars are all garbage. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. stop. Now you're yeah. getting crazy, but that's what people like to do. And um, I think that just, I mean, we could take this conversation in a whole new direction, which we won't, but like closed-mindedness is just not my favorite thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. I mean, right, it's yeah. a big problem we have. No, but... Yeah, 
I happen to agree with that. <laughs> yes, I do as well. Yeah, I think you're in good sure. company here, Bradley. Did you get a chance to check out uh, any other interpretations of Deadshot um, when you got the role, like the animated version with Michael Rosenbaum? or Well, yours was before Will Smith's, right? Yeah, um, I personally choose not to. Um, okay. Because I can get a voice stuck in my head. I can get... Ah, uh, um, yeah. I can get things stuck in my head. It, all actors work differently. There's some actors that'll study all of that, um, but they also, through the process of auditioning and talking with them before we shot, they weren't really interested in me recreating anybody else's version. Because, right. I mean, to be honest, like even when I went in to do the audition, it, they, nobody said anything about a Southern accent. Right. Uh, I just read it that way. And in the acting world, something that, people that aren't in the world don't know is that if they don't tell you to do it you're never supposed to do it um you know <laughs> it's a big no-no and you know people listen to this there's some people listening to this right now that are in casting or producers and they're like that's right you shouldn't absolutely not <laughs> the problem is is that the stories like mine are <laughs> are not rare where the one guy that came in and dropped an Irish accent, they're like, well, wow, that was really good. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas it's set on top of the page, a standard American accent or whatever. And you well, you know, maybe we should try this Irish thing. <laughs> because you, know, you wrote it with an Irish accent, people. We picked it up. We saw that. Um, there's certain there's certain classic shows that I won't get into, but they, they're very, don't, we don't want it. And then 50% of the time they hire just that thing. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, so, the other thing too, when you have as many auditions as I've had over my 20 years now, is you you want to you want to do right by the people that have created the material, but you also need to have some sort of artistic integrity and also like uh, I don't uh, you gotta sometimes your own stamp is required, and right. so sometimes mm. you put your own stamp on it, and sometimes they go mm, guess what not what we wanted. You go hey cool man, but I got to have a shot at it, and that was what I thought it should have been. So have a blast. You gonna go go make your show and have a good time doing it. Um, yeah. And sometimes you watch it and you go, man, they were right. Or sometimes you watch it and you go, I was so right. But uh, <laughs> either way, you do find some sort of, um, you find some sort of, I don't know, power in just you not having, not caring as much about the yeses and the noes because, you know, I mean, as mm. we all know in this business, there's, there's sometimes no rhyme or reason, you know, um, maybe you're too tall, maybe you're too, you're too skinny, maybe you're too whatever. Uh, but as you, so as you stick around in the business and you keep going, you start to go, okay, cool. Well then, uh, part of what I'm doing here is, uh, I'm taking all of my time and energy over all these years to learn how to do this. So I'm going to let you guys see what, what I think this is. Um, and, uh, cool. people that would agree with me, people would disagree with me, but and it's, I just think that that's part of our job is to choose an identity and run with it. They might be on their toes a little more than usual in a comic book thing as well, especially these days. If you, if you make any addition to something that's not in the comics, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, people mm -hmm. are also willing to accept changes when they're good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Things Different work. interpretations. Well, and here's, here's yeah. what's funny, too. So, like, all think of the character, think of Deadshot that I played. He has on a cowboy hat, or like, in a duster. Like, right. <laughs> you know, he's not, mm -hmm. he, he did come from the Upper West Side in New York City. So, right. Um, they they leaned into maybe they already had a plan. I don't know. Maybe they leaned into what I was doing. I have no idea. 
Um, <laughs> what I do know is that in the end, we all seem pretty happy with it. And, you know, the only bittersweet thing I had about it is it was the last season. Uh, and we didn't, yeah. we didn't get to play with it as much as I think any of us would have liked to play with it. Uh, and, and yeah. then, you know, yeah, funny story actually, cause, uh, Michael Rowe who played it next, uh, was, I was, I teach and coach was coaching actors for a long time. And he just happened to be somebody that came across my, uh, my path for a while. And so I, I actually helped him with his audition for the part. <laughs> really? But oh, man. Uh, I hope it's cool with me saying that. I mean, he's obviously he did the work. I just, you know, all I do is ask questions and you know, say, what about this? What about this? You know, he's the one who put in the work, but, uh, I was, I found it so intriguing because this was a, a year or two later. And I was like, Oh, this is a totally different character. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And which is what they do, right? They 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 evolve it and play <laughs> with it. And I was like, wow, that's so great. And he's had a nice run with that because he did a bunch of. He was in the first or second season, ended up doing a bunch of episodes, and then you know he's um, he's on the circuit now, meeting everybody and doing the uh, signature. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's also a really good guy, so that makes it fun. <laughs> cool. Sounds like you did a bunch of research for the role. Were you were there particular comics that you ended up reading uh, for your research? No, honestly, I don't. You don't have that much time. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't. I think from my last audition to when I shot it, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know if I had a week. Um, oh wow! Might have even been a couple of days. Sometimes the turnaround is oh, either wow. the turnaround can be like three weeks sometimes, or sometimes you're on set in two days. Yeah, yeah. So I think I had a fitting the two days after, and I was on set the third day, if I remember correctly, kind of thing. So what I do is just dive into as many facts as possible. Um, specifically, also being careful about reading any specific one story too much, because each story will take uh, on a very specific part of the person's life sometimes. And so you can be misled and go, oh, he's this guy. And then you read another comic book and go, oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh. He's not necessarily that guy. He's this guy and this guy. So I found it uh, better to go with broad strokes and then obviously create my own reality from there. Cool. Uh, cool. Yeah. I just momentarily Makes leaving sense. comic book world just for a second. If you, if my co-host will indulge me and everybody here, um, I was wondering, <laughs> thanks. You may indulge. Uh, <laughs> from an actor's perspective, <laughs> From your perspective, what is it that makes a good director? What do you want out of a director generally? Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because I, I actually direct my own films. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I have a very specific opinion on this. So, so there's, different, <laughs> there's different forms of directors we all run into in our time as actors, whether it be a theater, theater director, a film director, a TV director. Um, so TV is very much a writer's medium yeah. and uh, film is very much a director's medium. Those are just basic facts that a lot of people know. Um, what I, my favorite kind of director, because also the kind of actor I am is the director who will ask me questions and collaborate with me on the character and the choices that the character is making in a way that makes him better. And right. in a way that makes me go, oh, I never thought of that that's intriguing um my least favorite type of director is a director that thinks that they that has no idea what actors do <laughs> so, 
<laughs> there's a lot of them. There is a lot of them. And they're like the, the best way for me to say it is directors that are um, scared of actors. And when I say uh, they're scared mm. of actors, because they don't talk to actors because they don't want to get in the way of doing what they do, which is valid on some level, but it also tells us on some level that in TV, sometimes all it is is we're doing what we like. We don't have time to mess with it. That's sometimes all it is. So like getting asked questions like, so you're, what do you think your character's feeling with this line? Do you think you'll be standing up or sitting down? Like shit like that? But simple, if you want to get into a simple version, it's like the way that the scene takes place, a very simple idea would be, I know it's going to be it's a bit of a cliche because it's funny, but like your character starts the scene sitting and by the end of it, you need to be all the way across the room. You've walked, you stood up, stood, walked across the room and slam, slam a cabinet. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm. Every single thing that happens to the cut in that scene has to be motivated or all you're doing is crossing and slamming a cabinet because somebody. <laughs> so, we all have moments where we're figuring it out. So right. it's funny that you kind of figured it out and then the director comes up to you and goes, and you find a very comfortable way to do it. And the director comes up to you and goes, sweet, so uh, what about if you stand up here instead of there? So you make yourself sit in whatever's building for a bit longer than it might feel right. And then when you do stand up, everything from there over to the cabinet's gonna move a little bit faster and be a little bit more motivated by something deeper inside of you before you slam the cabinet. What would you think about that? Oh, fuck, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know. Or they'll just come up to you and ask you a backdoor question, which is, I love backdoor questions. They're my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> it might not make sense to people who are listening, but it's a great thing. So if an actor's not finding something in a scene, walk up to him and you go, hey, really weird question for you. Like, what, like, what do you think uh, your uh, character had for breakfast this morning? because <laughs> now all of a sudden you're abandoning the reason i call it backdoor question you're abandoning everything that you're thinking about about that particular scene and moment in time you jump into a place before in the day and you're like what did i have oh maybe i didn't maybe i had something i thought was disgusting oh that would be different maybe i thought maybe i had the best breakfast in my oh that'd be interesting um or, or even very simple questions, you know, very simple questions about like, oh my God, like, wouldn't it be interesting uh, if your character slept like two hours last night? <laughs> that would be interesting. What would that do? And it's and basically think, ultimately kind of pointless is what you're saying? Like they're, they're not covering area they should be covering? Ultimately pointless, but also not pointless at all because it will like if I asked the question about two hours sleep, what I could say to you is you have way too, what I'm really saying is you have way too much energy and you're way too uh, clear in this moment. And right. so it had, might have nothing to do with exhaustion even. It just might be that the character has had too much happen to them in the last two hours. Now remember, actors show up and they do one scene at a time. Yeah. So a director's job is to go, sure, we're, but we're at this point in the arc of your story. And so you're coming in to do this one scene. And I also know that I need you to be operating at a four, not an eight in this moment for the arc of your character to work and for my story to then make sense. So let's talk about you sleeping two hours. What mm -hmm. the fuck does that have to do with It's passive aggressive kind of. 
<laughs> the next thing, yeah, sure. Because the minute you remember this though, too, as a director, the minute you point in a result is the last thing your actor can do unless they're very good. Right. So the other thing a director will do is they'll say, can you get more angry? Yes, I can. <laughs> or my favorite, the, the most cliche one is, can you cry here? Oh boy. I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that you're dealing with an actor that knows what they're doing because if they're like first five, sometimes first 10 years into their career, you just shut down the ability of them to find any emotion because all they're going to think about for the next bit in, and the scene is can they get, make water fall from their eyes, which is ridiculous. Right. So instead, right. you find another way into that. You actually probably distract them from the fact that they know that water should be falling from their eyes. So you say, you know what, let's get rid of all of that. And let's talk about this over here. You distract them from the fact that you realize they're focused on a result. So one of the things I've spent a lot of my career is because is a lot of directors are result oriented because they don't have time to fuck around, which is totally valid. So they give me the note. I go, that's an awful note. Thank you. And I walk away. And I, go, <laughs> I will make magic out of that shit. <laughs> yes, exactly. I go, now it's my job to forget they said that and ask myself the question I as a director would ask my actor. And then I do, and I go, oh, because a lot of times there's been shows where, like, I've had that particular thing happen, and the director said it to me as they were literally slapping the slate in front of my face. Oh, my God. He goes, oh, he goes man, I really think it would be cool if, if, you, if you found some tears for this scene. Boom. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, That's ridiculous. <laughs> so then I just look down at the ground, knowing I have five seconds. I ask myself a question that my character that would make my character go to a place where emotionally I would be in that ballpark. Take a deep breath, deal with it. By the way, breathing is an actor's best friend. Um, and so another thing a good director will say to me is, Hey man, you want to take a minute? Oh, Cause they know, they know that something's part of all that's missing sometimes is we've got ourselves in some sort of place where we've stopped breathing. You can't do the work if you don't breathe. And so finding a moment, look down, find a moment, take a deep breath, and then you sit up, you go. And I mean, the take was like, it was better than I could have done it if I had time to think it over because I knew how to do that. But that's also because I was, you know, even at that point I was 13 years in, right? So there's just, the main thing is for me is, is that an actor that really understands, uh, is a director that really understands actors. And my second thing to that would be <laughs> would be a director who really understands how to make us fucking look good. And then an editor <laughs> that knows how to make us fucking look good. And a DP that makes us look and look good. You know, like Deadshot's a perfect example. Holy shit. Like the scene in uh in my little my little warehouse of of like making the bullets. Yeah. I gotta tell you, mm -hmm. like the precision on that particular scene was nuts. We're talking like cool. Oh, because the, really? the way they wanted to do it, if I was just two centimeters off to where I landed to, with my eye and the blowing of the uh, metal particles, in you recall, but like uh, if I was off at all about any of that, it didn't work. So this is a moment when you go, okay, guys, and, you know, and also right with the other one too, when I shoot the bullet. Uh, so you work with them and you do all this really technical stuff and then all the work you did as an actor, because you're not, you're not having to dig into a lot of that in those moments, right? It's more about the technical side. So when they then do that stuff, again, you, you, you hug your director when you're done. 
because you're like, man, you, made, you look fucking awesome. You know? uh, but my son is four years old and I showed him that clip and it's the first time he was like, whoa. Cool. Yeah. He saw me in another thing where I was, he walked in the room where my wife and I were flipping through the channels and I was like, oh, there I am. And so it was me in a prison jumpsuit, which happens quite a lot, to be honest. And uh, my son happens to walk in the room, watch a couple seconds of it. And he goes, oh, dad, I love your orange shirt. Where is it? And I was like, oh, my orange prison jumpsuit, son? Well, I don't have it. Um, you know, they didn't let me keep it. But usually he either has that reaction or no reaction at all. He just gets, that's weird. But this is the first mm -hmm. time he was like, wow. That's my son's also, I have to say, he's four, he's four and oh, he's awesome. seen every single Star Wars. <laughs> nice. Alfred, I was wondering if that fishy swa was ready yet or not. I'm hungry. Coming, Master Wayne. Hold your horses. It'll be done in just a moment. I need my sustenance for busted thugs in the streets. On the way, on the way. Here I come. Worry not. My gosh dang biceps barely even fit in this gosh dang bat suit anymore as well. I'm going to need that tailored again as well, Alfred. Here's your sandwich, Master Wayne. Uh, yes, yes, let me take a look. Of course, again, no, no problem. I guess one could say I've gotten a bit too swole, as it were. <sighs> Last night on patrol, I put a bunch of testosterone. <sighs> what has become of my life? This is Alfred Pennyworth, a 63-year-old butler. He lives his daily existence in servitude to what appears to be a feckless lunatic in pajamas. I punched him many times leaving him unconscious but still alive because I'm still the Batman. He toils day and night to satisfy the whims and whimsy of an overgrown child. One finger push-ups, motherfucker. Let's do this shit, Alfred. We are here quite seriously to examine what in the world went wrong. How has a man who served his government as a special forces agent and a man who has dedicated his life to the service of his greatest friend. But now we see the glamour of this life that he's chosen has seemed to worn off, and the look in his eyes is that of pure despair. Alfred, you know I require a swirly straw with my drink while I eat my fishy soie. Ah, yes. Master Wayne, my apologies. I'll retrieve that right away. Thank you, my good man. All right, everybody, if you like that little preview to the sketch right there, we have that plus news, plus we're bringing back some opinion pieces and uh, review type stuff and all kinds of stuff in our $5 tier on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And if you become part of the $5 tier, you can see these new bonus episodes. Basically, consider it Superhouse DLC. Hashtag surge the sack. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know if it's good parenting, but I like it. It's great. Kevin Hell Smith yeah. talks about, you know, the director, Kevin Smith. Yeah. He, 
directs a few episodes of The Flash and I think a couple of the other uh, shows as well. Supergirl. Uh, Supergirl, yeah. He says that mm-hmm. as a director, like, you know, he obviously can direct. He does his own thing. Definitely does his own thing. But he said when he goes into the TV world, he feels like he can't direct that much because he's like he's like a guest. And everybody that else, all the actors, the DP, mostly, like, especially on a TV show like that, uh, they all, they're, they're a well-oiled machine. And he's just like the director of the week. That's how he feels like. So <laughs> maybe nice. some directors feel like they just can't do that much in, a, in the TV world. I'm not really sure. Yeah. No, what you said is what you just said is an absolute fact. And you'll actually that's why I said there's a big difference between the two. Right. I personally prefer film as a director, but the TV world, you have to be careful. You walk up to a series regular who's 100 episodes into their character and you start asking them questions and you're probably never coming back. So it comes down to that too, right? You got to let people do what they do. Um, what you can do is engage them in a dialogue if you want. But the, the truth is, is when they, and especially in the TV world, when somebody's a few seasons in, it just, that's it. You just got to let them do what they do. I mean, I, I remember I was on episode six of a show and the director, I played this really wild eccentric character Basically, I tried something. Nobody stopped me. And then uh, I didn't think I was going to get away with it because I created a guy who was like really, he was, he was like very much a, a serpent or a snake was the animal I was using. Uh. But he was also a little drunk all the time. And it was in a world where that could be possible, you know, back in the, the past. Anyway, so he, this director comes in and he goes, cut. He goes, what's wrong with you? And I go, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? Goes, I think it's funny, right? I'm like, he's like, are you drunk? And I go, yep. And he goes, he goes oh, I don't know. And the, the executive producer from the fucking video village goes, shut up. I love what he's doing. Because <laughs> they obviously knew each other, right? And they're buddies. And shut up. I laughing and I go, because that's what you were just, that's what you were just hinting at is you that he was came in on episode six i was six episodes into creating his character we were all having a really fun time he's like the slimy guy that would do anything for money kind of guy right um and we created this really fun character and somebody came in and goes i don't know i don't get it well we we didn't need you to get it you haven't been here for five episodes so to your point it's true you you are definitely handcuffed um right. in that regard that's why if you talk to a lot of actors then and you ask them, what's your favorite medium? Like, forget about money. Forget about all of this. Almost, uh, TV's changed a lot too, by the way. So let's be clear that there's a lot of new stuff on streaming and um, cable that has a lot more leeway to, to become more like film um, mm. in regards to where they let your characters go. But the classic answers would either be film or theater first for most people. Um, it's only in the last five years that that's changed where people go TV. And if they do see T, if they do say TV, it's usually very rare that you're going to hear an actress say like, what's your dream role in television? And they go NCIS. And it's not a knock on NCIS. It's just to say that after you do a bunch of episodes of procedural, you start to fall asleep at the wheel a bit. You have a <laughs> wonderful paycheck. Don't get me wrong. It's right. the best pay in, in the game, but there's not as much room to create, which is, you know, 
which is why I also find it comical when people say, so-and-so is the best actor in the world and they name a movie star. Sure, maybe they are. But if you were to ask me that question, I would say that we don't even know the best actor in the world's name. They're in a theater somewhere in the basement where they right. spend 12 hours a day, like I'm just digging around and you see him on stage and you know, Mark Rylance, perfect example. And Mark Rylance went from barely doing any TV and film to being nominated for Oscars because he's been on stage in uh, London doing things that are fantastic, like changing the medium of theater. And what that means to me is he's like, those guys are, they're putting in the like Kobe, LeBron, Michael Jordan amounts of practice, which is right. very hard in TV and film to do. Because most of the time in TV and film, you end up sitting around in your trailer on set without the ability to be, you know, shooting 403 free throws that day. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, what I'm really hinting at too, is that it's all very complicated. So even when I say my favorite part of a director, I also know when I show up to a TV set that they probably can't do too much of those things because that's not what they're asked to do. They're asked to deliver a show in six to eight days, make it look beautiful, make sure the actors stay you know, on the path and then they, they move on to the next thing. Yeah. It was super interesting to hear about Kevin Smith on the, on the flash for sure. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a lot of those people who <clears throat> love what they do. And there's a lot of them that I'm sure become frustrated because, you know, and you'll see it sometimes too. They just want to make a, they want to make a project that's theirs to decide right and what i mean by that is they get to decide the tone they get to decide the aesthetic of the show they get to decide the score they get to decide uh how traditional are we going to shoot this coverage or are we going to get a little dirty here you know are we right. what are we do to to put our own brand if you will to this partic particular picture and then you know the more movies we watch like I think the big coming out party this year was what's his name? Uh, Taika Watiki, if I say his name correctly. Yeah, his brand of storytelling so. is his. There's nobody, you can't go, well, uh, he's, you know, mm -hmm. sure he's ripping off everybody. But the point is, is we all stood up and clapped because we're like, wow, that was exciting. I didn't see yeah. any of that coming. It's hilarious, man. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And now look at the next job he got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. of course. Uh, back to the comic book world for a little bit. Uh, just a quick question, but you did mention that you had auditioned for previous sort of villains on Smallville. I was curious if you had remembered uh, which ones that might have been. One of the, the, the one of the characters that same season that I auditioned for was Rick Flag. Oh, so the oh, other nice. part of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, Ted Ted Whittle actually, a, a somewhat friend of mine. He was an acting teacher in Vancouver at the time. Uh, ended up playing the role and did a very very good job with it. Um, because I, that was one I was I was on hold for that uh, the, a week or two before Deadshot came. Um, yeah, that's that's the one that I remember because it was so close to. That happens a lot though, right? There was a TV show I did it a couple of years ago where. Uh, I got offered a part, I couldn't do it. And then my agent goes, well, there's another part you were right for from the very next episode, which happened to be a bigger arc, bigger character. I just told them to give you that job and they did. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I said, I'm sorry, what? Awesome. They did? <laughs> Come again? <laughs> yes, I'm buying you something good for Christmas. Um, yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> 
and so it was a, it was that was one example of uh, oh wow like uh, this <laughs> that works sometimes you know that job's not e easy either but there's so uh, Rick Flag was one and then there was a bunch because this show I started auditioning I auditioned for this show in both LA and in Vancouver by the time I was done so you know what I mean I was kind of back and forth back and forth back and forth um, in regards to and there was I'm trying to remember there was the previous seasons there was so many of them um, and you also, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, you dodge some bullets too, because you also audition for like one episode parts and you, you get all hold, put on hold for those and they don't work out either. And then you get something that has um, more cachet like this, or even that possibly has more episodes. So um, sometimes you don't get the ones you really want to, oh, I really would have loved to play that character. And then, you know, a little bit later, you're playing something else and you go, oh, okay, I'm cool. That's fine. <laughs> I like the choice there. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, let's see. You're also one of the few men who faced off against not just one, but two Oliver Queens. You were up against Justin Hartley for a little bit in the episode Collateral, and uh, you got to be on Arrow in the final season yeah. in the episode Reset uh, yeah. against Stephen Amell. Uh, funny enough, those are both final seasons and, ironically, episodes about fake realities. I thought that was kind of funny uh, about those. So uh, I was going to ask, uh, what led to your appearance on Arrow? Arrow is a show, again, that I auditioned for a bunch. And uh, that was one of those ones where, I don't know the right way to even say this. It was last season. The show was almost done, right? So, so what happens in the process of doing this job is you'll get, uh, you'll get chances to audition for things that just don't fit uh, what you and your people are trying to do. Um, and so this, that particular episode, my agent calls me and she goes, you know, I don't know, three years ago, we probably wouldn't have done this particular role for you. Cause we would have held out for something maybe bigger. Um, but show's going up there anyway. Like, let's do it. Let's just keep, let's get in there and do, have some fun. And then I was like, okay, sounds good. And, and then I went in and read, I went in and read for it and the casting director, um, somebody I know very well. So try it this way. And I go, huh, interesting. So I completely turn it on its head and try it a different way. And then you get a call, you got the job. Oh, great. So then I show up to do the job and, uh, what's his name? Let me look up the name because it'll be more fun for the story. Uh, the director of the episode I did was, uh, this was actually really fun because it was somebody who knew the world so well. It was, what's his name? What's his name? Yeah, it was David Ramsey. And he, ah, Diggle. he's yeah. such a great guy. And I so we're in there rehearsing and I go, uh, can I have your ear for a second? He goes, sure. I said, Hey, uh I did it two different versions. And he goes, Was he goes, Was the first version yours? I said, Yeah, he goes, That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. You know, whereas so you know it's not it's not always the case. Sometimes you go in and they're like, Cool, we saw what you wanted to do, but we prefer this other way. Okay, cool, let's try that. Um, which ended up actually being a ton of fun. I had a ton of fun on Arrow and it, it was just bittersweet because when you spend, you know, you spend that much time with different pieces of material, you of course want to spend some time on the show itself, you know, um, becoming more part of the world, but you know, that's the business we're in. Sometimes that's not, that's not what you get to do. So uh, I really enjoyed my, my one episode, but that's all to say I would have rather had 30. <laughs> <laughs> of course. For yeah. sure. For sure. 
Now, did they did they know that you had been uh, Deadshot on Smallville? Because funny enough, that was the same season where they did the whole crisis thing and they were bringing in Tom Welling and Erica Durant anyway around the same time. Uh, for they stuff. did. They I don't. They might have those conversations beside behind closed doors, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. They don't. They certainly didn't mention it to me. <laughs> I will forgot to mention. I I mean mainly mainly whether or not you were part of that. I, I don't know if they crisis was overloaded in my opinion yeah. <laughs> people anyway but um yeah i was just wondering if, if they had known that when uh they cast you in that episode i don't actually know that's not a conversation mm-hmm. we had i do know that the show went for a very specific amount of time based on uh business decisions do you know what i mean um mm-hmm. i don't think that the show was the end of that show or, or most shows even are built necessarily around like the perfect creative ending. Uh, and I'm not to say that that's not what happened, but what is to say that like a lot of times we always have to remember that what we do is creative meets commerce. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if you get to remember those two things are always need to be in line for the, for things to stick around. I mean, how many times have we seen a really cool show that ends up disappearing most likely it's just because the business didn't work out the commerce didn't work out no matter how exciting and fun that might have been so uh but anyway for this particular show they didn't mention it to me but i also know that that keeping people in the in these particular universes uh in these worlds does help because the audience is very loyal and so the audience does know right yeah uh, which is uh, never a bad thing your IMDb states that you had Wolfie a life-changing there. trip and Wolfie, can you hear me? Did we lose Wolfie? Oh no! I think hold on. We might have lost. You guys, he was wearing on. shorts, so <laughs> he left. Sorry, sorry. I up. had it on mute when I went to go help my dog. Oh, uh, okay. Get out. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I got a question for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Your your IMDb states that you had a life-changing trip in Southeast Asia. Um, I had a similar experience, I'd say. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that and where you ended up? I knew I knew that Wolfie and I were the same person. <laughs> I went to Viet. <laughs> I went to Vietnam, uh, Thailand, and Cambodia. It was amazing, incredible motorbike trip. Dude, I, my now wife and I were dating, and she just decided one day she's like, "I'm gonna go away for a while." I was like, "Where are you going?" She's like, "I'm going to Thailand and Bali," and I was like, hmm, "For how long? Cool. Two months." And I was like, "What?" It's ridiculous because two months. So (laughs) I was, I was just finishing. um, I did the three episode arc on Stargate universe. And um, I happened to be in an episode that shot in New Mexico. So I said, Oh, interesting. So I decided uh, I wanted to go somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not childish at all, by the way. So I was like, <laughs> I wanted to work too. And then I decided that uh, I wanted to try and do some yoga somewhere exotic. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I didn't even really do yoga, yoga yeah. that much at that time in my life. I just knew I needed to slow down and breathe a little bit. Um, cool. so, so I started doing research. And found a yoga retreat in Thailand I wanted to try out that was affordable because I'm sure you know everything down there can be really affordable. Yeah. And so went to my, my then girlfriend and said, hey, I'm going to go to Thailand. Like, you can do your thing. I'll do my thing. But, you know, if, if it so happened, we crossed over for a minute, that would work too. But, like, don't feel any pressure. 
we weren't yeah. too serious at that point and she was pretty pissed off at me anyway for many reasons but um <laughs> then, all right she goes she goes whatever it's fine and so then i went to the the white sands of what you call new mexico beautiful place but we shot that out i flew home for two days and then flew to thailand for two months and had this like the, it's impossible to describe i'm sure well that you understand because you've been there but yeah um the energy of the people and uh, my big sort of swinging moment was uh, Chiang Mai went on a trek. Yes. Ended up out in the middle of nowhere. It was like the first day was like a seven hour trek through the jungle. You all of a sudden uh-huh. walk into a village where they have Ooh. no running water, no electricity. And in the course of my first half an hour there i knew that every person in that village with you know by the worth of the western world i had i had more in my pocket than their entire village had and wow yeah the they were all a quantum leap ahead of me in terms of well-being and happiness yeah it does seem like that especially in a place like vietnam where you've heard so many things of coming out of that war and everything but yeah you know not having material wealth is like just kind of secondary to the essence of your being state of being and so i ended up uh having like a very profound experience in the jungle for three days and having really cool conversations with people from all over europe and everywhere you know one of them because i I felt pretty much like an asshole because i was like i'm such a spoiled baby i live downtown in a 36 floor condo in vancouver (laughs) looking to see and my life sucks and I was like, wow, I was, it was, it's why I made the comment we were talking earlier about like people without passports and it's not to comment on them. It's a comment yeah. on like part of our, what we're doing here is, is like finding perspective and you know, what's this human experience really all about. And that particular trip allowed me to find a perspective I needed which mm. was to alter the course of my life because the last day, literally it was the day of my 31st birthday i was back on Cosan road i woke up in the morning and these two questions jumped into my head who are you and who do you want to be so yeah pulled out my journal and wrote on the left side who are you right side wrote who you want to be started filling in the who are you side and was sobbing in five minutes because everything i had written was about a person i disliked then i went to the other side and I wrote all the thing, things of who I wanted to be. And the who I wanted to be side gave me inspiration and excited me. And yeah. the very first thing on that is I want to tell stories. I want to, I want to, so I went home. I was home two days, three days later, because I got stuck in Korea. I was home three days later <laughs> and I hired myself to be a quote unquote professional screenwriter. So nice. I started spending eight to 12 hours a day in coffee shops writing which I maintained for the almost the first two years back. And then I pared it down to a more reasonable sort of length mm-hmm. and uh, started making movies. And my first feature film that got produced, uh, went back to Thailand and shot a movie that I directed. Cool. And uh, it, it all came full circle for me. Um, wow, yeah. And what's that film called? Land of Smiles. Uh, oh, I'd like to see that. It's on, That's amazing. It's on Amazon Prime. Cool. Oh, nice. like, yeah. I'll watch it. Chiang Mai is one of my favorite cities ever. Yeah. Yeah. I place. mean, it's just 
it's just it's in, it, like the movie's called Land of Smiles because you do two minutes of research on Thailand and you go, mm-hmm. that's what the nickname of this place is. And you go, of course it is. Everybody's happy. Yeah. They're smiling. Best food in the world. Yeah. It's, uh, supposedly Best way of the, life. The most quote unquote religious country in the world, but by religion we mean Buddhism this time around. Yeah. It's like ninety nine point nine percent Buddhist, and maybe there's something to that. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it could be really. Yeah, yeah. and I think more than anything else, it's perspective. So, yeah. you know, one of the things that that we in the first world, this is the like I can boil it down to this: if you're born in the first world, and listen, just because you're born in the first world doesn't mean you have an easy life. Some people have really hard lives. Um, but if you were born in the first world and you don't realize at some point that you've won the lottery and s- compared to places like villages in Africa and places where like getting water is a luxury. Yeah. We have the ability to do pretty much everything with, uh, and so I, what I, what I was, I was in a place where I was a bit of a victim because it hadn't worked out the way I wanted it to, which I think everybody, there's a lot of people that have this kind of a story. So the minute I got out and saw the world, I said, dude, you're so lucky. And if you don't start embracing the fact that you are lucky and then your life is yours to lose. And so then I go, oh, well, that's a weird responsibility. So what I also spent a lot of time trying to figure out is embracing like joy a little bit more and embracing victories a little bit more. And like Miles is a good example of that. We didn't get into the big film festivals that I wanted with it. But the film still won 35 awards at the smaller festivals. That's so awesome. cool. You can okay. either you can either go, oh, you didn't get the big one, or you can go, hey man, we did pretty good. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I got a I got a you know living room full of trophies, and I felt good. It was a good experience. Um, and so, yeah, it's I think really a lot of what we're dealing with in our world today comes down to perspective and you know yeah. lack of uh, whether it be closed minded or open minded, just like lack of availability to be malleable and without that what do you really got man because most of us that are holding on to stuff aren't holding on to good things <laughs> yeah <laughs> i watched yeah. this this i think it was a podcast video maybe rogan or something i can't remember but they're they, they were talking about uh it was like housewives in the 50s 60s 70s something like that whether people were first getting on antidepressants like more and more mm-hmm. i can't remember the exact specifics but they were saying that like the, the women would would say to their doctor or whatever i don't know what it is i've got like uh you know a house i've got a car you know i have several meals a day you know i don't know why i need to be on this and then doctors will say that especially at that time you know we just have a chemical imbalance which is probably true to some extent but it's also like it's just kind of like you also got to think about like having all those things doesn't really equate to being happy like what the fuck is happiness you know say that so i'm taking a course there's a at the beginning of this pandemic yale offered the world a free course on what is it called it's it's not called happiness the science of well-being yeah yeah so i said i've never taken a course at yale sure i'll do it I, yeah, I know it's ridiculous. I'm ridiculous. I, I, I can, it's, I'm my wife is like, I basically disappear for the day doing weird things. But so hilarious, uh, though. I take this course. And one of the things it says in this course is 
basically nobody wants to hear this these these computers we carry around in our pockets called our phones are mm-hmm. the, pretty much the number one source of dissatisfaction and lack uh, and they steal your joy because mm. they steal your attention you focus on the wrong things you feel like you're not enough every time you look at social media social media is the worst by the way according to this course yeah. where you know mm. now we're into science and all that right uh, what I find so intriguing about that, I'm not to say that those things are bad. I just went on a camping trip with my family last weekend for four days where my phone didn't work in the campsite. So I just turned it off. And in mm-hmm. the course of four days, you guys, whoa, I was like, cause I'm 42. I had a, I know about a world before phones. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. I know about the world yep. now and I feel a little bit stressed all the time. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. part of the reason is that there's really no excuse for me not to be working it's in my pocket so um what i found so intriguing is even in four days the amount of uh stress that left me and all of a sudden i go wait a minute and then the the you know counterpuntal argument to that is, is that then you drive back into coverage and your phone explodes and you got like 800 messages all the stress i got rid of just it all just fell on this one moment oh sweet good job <laughs> so yeah it was it, it, it it's a lot to say that i think just the way the society's built right now is is uh it's not trying to help us find our best, happiest selves, which is also thing, why things like pharmaceuticals and pills for happiness and to get rid of certain things. And I'm not saying people don't have ailments, they do. But that's why it's such a big deal for all that stuff right now, because we're having a really hard time navigating the current world we're in because I don't think we're built for it. I don't think we were built to walk around glued to our phones all day, which now it's worse mm-hmm. than ever. Um, I think putting down your phone and looking at another human being in the eyes is becoming a bit of an anomaly, especially obviously right now. Um, But I think we have to be careful because it could become something that doesn't hold value anymore. Um, It's part of the reason why empathy holds far less value now than it has for a lot of people, because if you don't look people in the eyes, it's easy for you to say and do things against them because you're not mm-hmm. looking at another human being having to take that in anyway. And, yeah, you know, back, take a playground culture. You little kid says something mean to another little kid. He sees that little kid break down and cry. He might not say it the next time. But if all you're doing is typing it into some computer on your app, you never see anybody's reaction. You just see their angry words fired back at you. You just get more angry. So a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, there's definitely a theory that social skills, just in general, the ability to have a live conversation is going to start going like on the decline just because of oh. everything that's been going on, not just because of texting or anything, but, but because of just right now, recently, with everybody holed up, like it, it, they just don't know what to do or how to how to talk well, to funny other story. people anymore. And that's My gonna be, mom was yeah. in charge of hiring and firing in a company, and she said... This was five years ago. She told me this story. She said she would get these immaculate resumes, just perfect, perfect. The emails, they were so eloquent. So she'd bring these 20 or 21, 22 year olds in for interviews. And she's like, Bradley, they can't even look me in the eyes. And I was like, what? She goes, they have no people skills. They're, They're brilliant with computers, but they cannot look another human being in the eye. And I was like, Wow, that's weird. She goes because the value on the value on what we're talking about is diminishing. So if you can if you can do well enough on your phone, 
and that somehow is value like i get into conversations like this all the time i'm like well what are you what are you doing what are you offering because there's a lot of people that hold really high value financially and in the social hierarchy but i don't think they actually offer much to society as a whole uh, and in fact might be detrimental even on a bigger scale because they're just famous for being famous and then you go well but how then does my child look up to you and become a better person they don't you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. If you want to be a professional athlete, you got to work hard to do it. So one of the things the acting profession has to deal with is that kids want to know why they don't have a show in six months. What are you talking about? It's a lot of work. <laughs> a lot more work than people would imagine, man. It takes a lot more. That's yeah, not how it works. And yeah. it's like, even look at London. Like, if you want to call yourself an actor in London, you get four years of university training to even put that label on yourself. Right. That's not the case in the United States. If you're pretty enough, you and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's fine. But if you don't realize that it's going to take work to figure out how to really do it well, that, 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 that's, that the, the equation you're living your life by is completely flawed because then that also means that, hey, man, I, like, I'm naturally pretty good at basketball. Sweet. So I'm just going to show up to the game, coach. You're not going to practice? <laughs> nah, I don't want to practice. Oh, Billy, that uh, sounds great. You'll be better than Kobe, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> it doesn't take longer than like five minutes to realize that LeBron, Kobe, and Michael Jordan were not the, were not only the most physically gifted players, they also worked harder than everybody their entire lives. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's part of it too. <laughs> but not in this world we live in now. They're like, if it doesn't come easy, why would I do it? Well, what the fuck yeah. are you yeah. talking about? Um. Anyway. I just I could talk about this shit forever because you know try when I was nice. teaching acting kids would after a year would be like oh, I don't know this business is for the burn I'm like, what are you talking about? why well I mean I don't even have a show series regular yeah <laughs> like you should be like you should be happy if you get one line on a show no I should be the show oh my god no because everybody turned the show off. You're awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, is there? What do you? Can you talk about what you're currently working on now? I know there's like not a lot going on, but maybe things are ramping up a little bit more. And uh, well, also, uh, anything you want to plug? Well, uh, I mean, there's nothing really to plug. I'm going. I'm in pre-production on a film. I'm going to direct. That's. Uh, it's something I wrote literally a month ago, and it's built around mm. these particular times, jumping a little bit farther forward in the future, and created a very personal dramatic sort of family narrative around that um which is going to be a lot of fun because right now all of my very talented actor friends are not working so i called them all up and i was like hey do you want to uh by the way i'm not asking i think you'll be you work on thursday um (laughs) (laughs) and so i've taken advantage of that to give myself because it was a first month of this whole thing was pretty difficult for my wife and my wife's working on a new tv series and i'm uh, involved in a series of these Hallmark movies where I have a reoccurring character that shows up in each one of them. We've done two and we're, you know, you're slated to do, we negotiated seven more, so we'll see if they all happen. Um, so we're doing that and that's called, uh, what is that? This Martha's Vineyard Mysteries. And a good buddy of mine, Jesse Metcalf, is, uh, is one of the, uh, he's the he's the lead guy on that and he's really fun to work with because he's just a good, he's a good guy. I like him. But uh, there's, there's those two things and then, uh, I've, I optioned a script of mine called Dragon Run, which was in pre-production in February in Thailand. They were out there building sets and the whole thing. 
Um, and then, of course, now that's going to be on hold, and they're hoping to go back to camera on that in uh, September, I think. And that's a fun, high-octane action, action-adventure movie that I wrote. Uh, cool. I've written a lot, so I've been writing for a decade now, and all the scripts that I've optioned over the last couple of years are starting to move into production. So it's uh, seems like that part of my life is really kind of catching fire. And uh, as far as the uh, the acting side of my life goes, it's it's we've been essentially since the middle of February. It's been locked down. So um, you know, I'm fortunate to be part of those series of movies, but after that, there's not much there's not been anything else to talk about. So that's why I created my own. And of course I'm, you know, I'm going to play a part in my own movie because uh, generally when I, I either write movies, I just want to direct or I write movies where I'm like, Hey, let's write some really complex characters, get some really talented actors together and see what happens when we throw that into a stew. Nice. Um, and so that's, that's what this next one is. Uh, it's called walking in dominion, but that one won't, the title will most likely change, but uh, that we're going to go into production in the middle of July. Is that going to be on Prime eventually, or where is that going to be? You never know, right? So making indie films, you you just like my film, Land of Smiles, had a Netflix deal brokered that fell apart because the guy who brokered it uh, got in some legal trouble, and so his slate of Netflix movies disappeared. And then Netflix did some revamping of their hierarchy. So when my distributor went back to Netflix, they said they didn't want they didn't want to see anything that the that that guy or that was involved with that situation. So okay. uh, I was collateral damage in that case, but that was when I went to my distributor at that point, I said, that's what I wanted. And then that didn't work out. We ended up doing it in a different way. Um, but so for this new movie, you know, I already have, I already have a good distributor lined up, but what I really want to do with it is make a film that I can explore the festival circuit with. And I'm taking a little bit of the, pressure of being commercial off myself and making it a little bit more about let's just really dig into characters and story uh, and see if we can't you know uh, create something here that's it is a thriller so see if we can't create something here that you know that sort of really subtle terror that makes you really uncomfortable um, as opposed to higher octane terror uh, which is that's what Land of Smiles is much, much more, uh, much broader and more in your face. So this is mm, a bit more cool. indie subtle movie. I'm really excited about it because, you know, it's a, it'll be carried by the story and the actors, which is always a gift. Cool, that's awesome. We'll definitely check it out yeah. when that happens, and uh, we'll uh, be sharing it out on our social media <laughs> right. as well. Uh, all of my social media handles are easy, you guys. It's just my name. Okay, cool. Nice. <laughs> Striker. Bradley Striker is done. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, we thought we'd end this interview on a very special treat. So, as Deadshot, uh, in only two episodes, you got punched by a future Superman, you got to point a gun at Green Arrow, you saved Chloe Sullivan, and you joined the Suicide Squad. But uh, since he never showed up on the show, you didn't get a chance to fight your main enemy, who was Batman. So we thought as a little additional bonus, we'd have you perform a monologue from what we thought was probably the greatest Batman versus Deadshot story, which is Sins of the Father from the Telltale series. Uh, we previously covered that in a previous episode. Uh, but uh, to set the scene for our listeners, uh, this is where Deadshot has Alfred and a whole bunch of other people hostage and gives Batman a gun, asking him to break his code and shoot him in order to free everyone. 
you came along and now everyone in Gotham thinks they got a guardian angel. Like my sap brother, thinking some knight in armor, a cop or a social worker was gonna save us from our psycho parents. That's not how it works in the real world. In the real world, the heroes throw out their principles over money or fear, or just cause it's not convenient to stick to them. I'm not complaining. It's how people are. I just want everyone to see that. So raise the gun, Batman, or I start shooting hostages. That's it. I know what you're thinking. You don't use guns. You're not sure you can make the shot. You might hit the old man instead of me. Like I said, life isn't fair. Nice. Now, could you cry? <laughs> Let's see some water from yeah. the eyes. No, that was amazing, Fantastic. man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Now I wish that they did bring Batman onto the show. Also, dude, I'm from Atlanta. Your accent is perfect, man. That's really good. It's, it's probably because one of my drinking buddies in my early 20s was a guy named Johnny Gang. <laughs> Johnny, Gaines, Johnny, Gaines. Johnny Gaines ran the bull at the saddle ranch. <laughs> okay, yeah. An angel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was awesome. Uh, this has been so fun, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for uh, coming down to the show. Perfect. Be well and take care of yourselves in the meantime. Yeah, you too. Thank you. You too, man. Have you too, you. man. Take care. And that was Bradley Stryker, everyone. Deadshot from Smallville. I think we had a great time talking to yeah. him. Uh, but you can uh, check him out. As I said, uh, we met him through Instagram, uh, where he was at, at Bradley Stryker. Uh, but you can also find us on Instagram at Superhero Stuff Pod, as well as Twitter at uh, Superhouse Pod. Yeah, dude. So that was a great interview. Um, again, so lucky with our guests. Like, haven't had one jerk yet, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> all, all Bruce the villain, Willis all next the week. Are the, <laughs> all the supervillains are like the nicest guys. Yeah, Dude, totally. You know, it's that. It's nuts, man. Yeah, like I don't know. Just talking about life, and I, I, I was a point where like you know we have a script and shit, and then we we go off of it, we go off track a bit too, but. Like, I just wasn't even paying attention after a while. I was just like, damn, this guy's saying some interesting-ass shit right now. <laughs> so, yeah. I know. Yeah. All the stuff he's talking about, about acting and directing, I was like, I think that's what we end Like, we always start off as just like, ah, oh, let's talk about your time on the show. And then it kind of just goes into just, like, the mechanics of great performances that we don't even, we never really think about from the other side. That trip was most c- certainly life-changing. You could tell how much more, like, open he seemed after the, the way he described it. I... I haven't been to, I lived in Japan, but I haven't been to like an area that was like maybe third world or a third world mm-hmm. town at least that he's been to. Yeah. But I think I can't imagine like there is, you can say, oh, they had no running water. But to like actually go to that fucking place, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. Wolfie, but it's just like, you know, something clicks internally a little bit more, you know, like you could see a picture of the Eiffel Tower, but standing under yeah. it, you know, it's like a different deal. Yeah. Well, in those kind of countries, like what he was saying, is it really humbles you more because you see how their resources are more limited than what we have. But still, there's this essence of like joy and well-being that runs through like almost that entire area, even though they face some of the most like horrible cultural atrocities. You know, it's there's something about that 
that not having of like the material, the not being able to have like the material ex experience quite the way that we do is really like it does. It's perspective. He, what he was saying about perspective, all the way. Yeah. That's how we fix things, people. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is happiness? Let's figure it out. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> we're just talking happiness with Deadshot. It's dead a Coors Light, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, anyway, you might have noticed that we have a lot of new stuff on our Patreon. We've been uh, talking about it for a while, and it finally happened. And uh, we're going to update it even more as we go, but we definitely had an overhaul recently. So we have a $1 tier. That is the Shasta Army, same as always. That gives you a, gets you a shout-out on the show. And then we got the $3 tier, tier which I'm calling uh, three bucks, three questions. So uh, if you drop us you. three bucks, you're going to ask us any three questions. And, you know, as long as it's not too insane, uh, you know, <laughs> I, well, you know, maybe, we'll, maybe we will answer insane questions. Who knows? Well, yeah, yeah, it depends yeah, on, what, depends it is, on yeah. what it is. Yeah, well, we're feeling frisky. Wolfie's naked, so. <laughs> <laughs> $5 tier, we're going to have a, bo a bonus Patreon um, uh, stuff. We actually have some older episodes. Dude, we have our Dino Riders <laughs> episode on there. Remember that, Wolfie, from way back yeah, in the day? Yeah, I was just thinking about that the other day. <laughs> we Dino some... Riders are way better than Dinosaurs. Get out of here. Yeah, well, well yeah, for sure. <laughs> but we had we had this episode, and we have, we're going to start to ramp that up more and more. Uh, yeah. And uh, all kinds of other stuff. The merch. We got merch on Patreon. We have merch on TeePublic. That's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C. TeePublic.com. And also Redbubble as well just search for our podcast on there you'll find us um also it's on superhousepod.com at the bottom there uh so uh check that out and uh then uh shout outs to cookie noms matt herring and elijah b please leave us a review on itunes that helps our visibility a bit quite a bit and um also if you could also uh record a bumper for us that would be super sweet uh, the bumper could be something like, I love superhero stuff you should know, or superhero stuff you should know is awesome, or anything like that. If you've been listening to the podcast, you have already listened to a few, and you sort of know the vibe. So, uh, yeah, you too can become part of the show. I am Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. Please check us out on YouTube as well. Just search for the podcast name there, and uh, you'll find us, and uh, basically all the social media. And uh, I think that's it from me, Wolfie. Hey, yo, and be sure to check us out on Facebook uh, with our other show, the Overly Critical Hyperanalytical Movie Club Podcast. Um, on Facebook, it's facebook.com backslash Overly Critical Podcast. Uh, come join that group, check out our episodes, and da, 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 I think that's it. Love you. Signing off. Signing off. Striker. <laughs>this has been brought to you by the Superhouse podcast network if you like what you heard and you want to support the show uh, or the Superhouse podcast network uh, go to our patreon at patreon.com backslash superhouse podcast hey, hey.